0: Welcome to episode 75 of Kyperion Commentary Podcast. I'm your host, Yuri Brito, and here at the Kyperion website, we believe in the principle of bringing all spheres under the Lordship of Jesus. And one sphere of um, that we would like to tackle here is a sphere of relationship, and this is the kind of sphere that transcends all spheres because it affects the household, it affects the church, it affects government. Wherever you are, the topic of friendship ought to be at least a a salient and pertinent feature of those spheres. And to discuss with me this afternoon, I have with me uh, Drew Hunter, who is the senior pastor of Zionsville Fellowship in Zionsville, Indiana. And he's the author of a book that I came across recently that really uh, ministered to me, and it's entitled Made for Friendship, the relationship that halves our sorrow and doubles our joys. Drew, thanks for joining Casey podcast.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me to talk about this.
0: Yeah, I'd like to have you. And as, as I mentioned to you, the, your book came across, uh, came to my attention as I was doing some doctoral work on the uh, biblical theology of friendship. And your book was very had some very interesting insights that I was able to apply to my initial chapters. So first of all, thank you. And I want to ask you a question that uh, perhaps is overlooked. It's assumed, but there's not much discussion of it. And my initial question to you, Drew, is a very simple one. What is friendship? How is it defined? It's one of those terms that are used so frequently and people use it so casually that there's not much of a a philosophical description of what constitutes it. Yeah, and that's a,
1: that's an important question because I think we, we do, I at least for many years just had a bit of a vague understanding of friendship and not a really particular concrete specific idea of what it was or I'd revert to kind of just cliches that we've heard about it. One way I think you can define friendship and, and the way I typically do is to say it's an affectionate bond forged between people as they journey with truth and trust. So there's, you know, it's kind of a dense uh, statement that the heart of it is this idea of an affectionate bond, because there really is a forging, a bonding, a knitting together of souls, as the Bible talks about it, like with David and Jonathan and other places. And so there's a bond that's forged, and it's an affectionate bond. So there's a love and affection, and it's it's over the course of a journey together with openness, truth, and trust. So...
0: That's how I I define it. That's great, and you develop this a bit in the book. But give us just a little sample of that initial Edenic friendship uh, that God created in those early days of the creation narrative, and how does that definition play in that um, that first human relationship between Adam and Eve? Yeah.
1: So, um, I, and what's so striking about seeing this bond of friendship at the very beginning of the Bible is that, um, we see that when God created Adam, you know, he says over and over in the chapter the creation chapter, it was good. It was good. It was good. It was very good. Um, and then we get to chapter two and we see that something's not good and it's Adam being alone. And so then he creates Eve for him. And that meets the need for both marriage, but also just to solve the broader issue of aloneness. Um, and so this shows that it's even before sin enters the world. So the deepest problem in the world is sin, but the first problem in the world, uh, because God hadn't yet completed his creation, um, was solitude. And so you see Adam and Eve together and they are naked and not ashamed. So obviously there's, there's significant application to marriage. Um, but it overlaps with friendship because as Song of Solomon speaks about the, the, bond between the romantic bond of a marriage is also to be the best of friendships and so you see adam and eve with openness transparency trust um, and affection. And then when sin enters the world, you can see what the beauty of friendship was before sin by seeing the damage that's created, initial blame shifting and hiding um, that immediately happens. So there's a separation and, and sin curves us inward as Martin Luther talked about it. Um, and and we're, we're moved away from one another. Um, so that's what we see with Adam and Eve. And there's also a relational uh, friendship bond uh, between humanity and God and Eden as well.
0: That's great. That's that's very very helpful in terms of setting this um, this foundation for friendship. Is there? You mentioned a couple of examples in the book. I, I was wondering if you had a kind of um, uh, an example in your mind of a biblical friendship that um, encapsulates in, in many ways the, the things you've talked about thus far. Yeah, there's there's a few of them.
1: So I think you know if you look in the Old Testament, uh, a great example of friendship between two women would be Ruth and Naomi. Uh, there's this language of clinging together as well and bond. And then David and Jonathan, um, you know, it's a classic example, but you know, if you look at it closely, it really is profound. The kind of friendship that they had, um, it says that their souls were knit or bound together. Um, mm. it said that Jonathan loved David as he loved his own soul or loved him as his own soul. Um, and, and they're partnering together in this, in this journey together through life. And that in the hardest of circumstances, they're finding ways to connect together, expressing affection together, supporting one another, um, being completely transparent with one another. So I think David and Jonathan is a great example, um, of human friendship. And then there's, there's a number of them in the new Testament, even with Jesus and his closest friends is a great example. Um, really the epitome of examples of true friendship.
0: Right. That's great. So uh, a follow-up to that, uh, Drew, is that um, uh, women have this ease when speaking of friendships. I had coffee with my girlfriend. I spent time with them. And you can tell by their their synopsis of their time, it's a very deep, it's a very intimate sort of relationship. In other words, they speak about it with tremendous ease. But men, on the other hand, as you've probably experienced as a pastor, and I have as well, are very timid to talk about friendship. Where does that hesitancy uh, stem from?
1: Yeah, um, we certainly do feel that. And I think it comes from a, a few different things. Um, you know, a couple of them, you know, here's just an example of a contrast, actually, because I think our hesitancy is somewhat new historically. So there's this great fascinating book um, called The Overflowing of Friendship by a sociologist named Richard Godbeer. And he surveyed letters of men in the founding era of America, so late 1700s, early 1800s. And Mm -hmm. he looked at their letters and the way that they spoke to one another, men spoke to each other on terms of friendship. And he said when he reads these letters to his classes now, students' jaws drop because they're astonished at the kind of affectionate language that's expressed in those letters. And, you know, he's written about, sexuality. And so he would be, he would be one to say, listen, there's some, there's some sexuality going on here if it was there. But he says, we can't read our situation back there. This was just normal male friendship. People saying, I love you and I miss you and I long for you. And you're the friend of my heart and you have no idea how much I miss you these days. And it's just mm. incredible. And so really the question is what even happened in America in the past couple yeah. of years? And I think a couple things have happened. One is our our view of masculinity has shifted. It's become more, um, more aggressive um, in in its form, and, and certain characteristics like expressing affection and tenderness, those have been uh, they used to be characteristics of men and women, and, and masculinity and femininity. But we've pushed those almost exclusively to the feminine category. So that if a man expresses tenderness or affection, we feel that's not manly anymore but that that's actually historically new. Um, So men are then afraid of expressing those things. They think they have to stay more superficial and on more aggressive topics. And part of it, uh, it was actually in a footnote in Richard Godsbeard's note where he mentioned something about um, I think it was a footnote about even just the, the influence of Darwin and evolution and survival of the fittest has influenced how we view masculinity um, to make it more aggressive and pushing some of these characteristics aside. So I think it's a big part of it. And then, of course, the the change in uh, sexuality in our culture. Uh, men are certainly afraid, those who who do not have same sex attraction may be afraid to express affection. Those who do may be afraid of being misunderstood. And so there's a lot of hesitancy and complication of not being pegged in a certain category that we may not feel comfortable publicly being pegged at. And so that just makes men really uncomfortable to say, I love you. I respect you, to talk candidly and openly about how we feel about one another. And um, it's really shaped friendships and closed us off from
0: the deepest parts of who we are. One of the things that uh, has transpired in this season of uh, social and physical distancing is that a lot of people are probably finding this season to be too easy, (laughs) at least it's my assumption, Because they have built their uh, cultural ethos around a philosophy that is already, by nature, inherently distant from one another, and it is interesting. I'm from a a Latin country, from Brazil, and we have a very affectionate culture. We greet women by kissing them. We shake men's hand. We hug them. Here in the U.S., as you mentioned earlier, something radical happen. And so it, you really can't say this is a Western problem, because in some ways, it is a very distinctly American problem. Good point. In European countries and in South American countries, this this is not an issue of debate. And also, I think it, it bears reminding ourselves, some of the things you mentioned in the book, that for the Apostle Paul, this kind of affection that you're speaking about was just the mode of operation. And that kind of uh, philosophy seems so foreign, which has been accentuated by the season we're living in. So uh, another follow-up question to you, Drew, is how has this pandemic really damaged even more so our understanding of friendship in our day?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I think, um, you know, you already mentioned how in some ways men in particular, in some ways have built our lives in such a way where we've pushed close, intimate relationships and friendship out. And so we're finding this actually easy. And so really it makes it even harder then because we're being more entrenched in patterns of being relying on digital communication um, and not meeting together and gathering so it can make us become even more comfortable with a very isolated um, existence. Um, I think my hope is that for many people, it's creating a longing so that mm. even the little, uh, relatively little experience and they had with real friendship um, and face-to-face engagement, they're feeling a great longing and it's making them rethink the treasure that real embodied face-to-face uh, friendship is. And so that um, we would even take further steps then to value that in our lives. Um, but this is certainly... Um, a hard a hard season for cultivating friendships. And we have to be even more creative and intentional right now to do
0: that. Yeah, very good. And you say this, and a couple of things that I've read from you, that even though we have had uh, somewhat of a resurgence on this concept of community life, you know, the, as the Cretes say, we believe in the communion of saints, yet within this relatively popular paradigm you still have a culture of friendlessness mm-hmm. if i'm phrasing that correctly there so it's possible to have the right theological categories and still miss that important element that you are uh, stressing of friendship with one another so you can have a an abstract passion for this idea right yeah. but yet on the uh, on the tangible side you you miss it can you just develop that a bit if you don't mind yeah
1: Yeah. So, you know, that, and that kind of came home to me about 10 years ago or so when I was um, serving in a local church context and thinking about how to encourage people in community, I I was really encouraged by the the emphasis on community and different articles and books and um, emphasis on small group community. And so we were fostering that and really took a lot of steps forward. But then I noticed you know, there was a lot of people who had were saying community is important, and they were engaging in small groups. And then, I, then I realized, though, after a while, that there still were so many people who were excited about community and being in these groups, yet who didn't have people in their life who who knew them well and whom they knew well, mm. and were actually mm. walking in everyday life, soul to soul, kind of friendship with. And, and really, when you think about even the one another's. It requires more than a weekly gathering or a weekly, even small group gathering to, right. to forgive one another assumes that you're rubbing shoulders enough in everyday life, enough that you're actually sinning against each other so that you, ha- you can forgive one another. It, you know, bearing one another's burdens assumes that you, you really do know someone well enough to know their burdens and you're carrying them with them. And so um, we, could, we can be in community and plugged into groups and still not have true friendships. And, you know, one verse that even highlights this is uh, Hebrews chapter three speaks about what we need is we need every day to be exhorting one another, lest we be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So that's not every week or twice a week. That assumes a daily kind of exhortation, knowing one another well enough that we can exhort each other and encourage each other with our temptations. And you just can't do that with 30 people in a group once a week or a few hundred people in a church context, it really requires um, a close-knit relationship with a few people. And so I think we, we really need to think of churches as overlapping networks of deep biblical friendships um, in order for true community, the biblical community, to actually find expression.
0: There may be some folks listening, uh, men primarily, and some women for sure, who have been uh, devoid, absent, this great gift of friendship. So, give us, as we close, Drew, just a, a couple of uh, introductory steps for those folks who uh, maybe, maybe a little bit introverted, who just desire what you're saying but don't know how to go about it. Where, where would you lead them? Yeah,
1: I think, um, you know, all of us can take steps forward. I'm still needing to take steps forward. And, um, you know, whether extrovert or introvert, um, we all need true friendship. And actually, you know, each will have its own challenges. You know, extroverts may need to be challenged to go deeper with a few rather than staying on the surface with many. Introverts may need to be challenged to be intentional to get the time with more people rather than being comfortable and content with maybe just just one. And so a few just concrete steps that have been encouraging to me um, are, one, recognize the value of meals for relationships. I think you can make a Mm. case in the Bible that God has given us food for the sake of friendship and community. It shows up at such significant communal times and covenant-making ceremonies. And so there's something about food that allows us to get face-to-face with one another foster conversation around an activity where we're not, you know, merely just looking at each other. We're actually doing something, but there's something relaxing. The Lord's just built into the way meals work. So I'd encourage people to think about using food for friendship. So um, to take a step onto that would be maybe block out one um, breakfast or dinner where you can have people into your life. So maybe Monday mornings, it's it's breakfast with a coworker or a friend, or it's either the same one every week, or you just have that spot for different people. My wife and I will open up our home on Wednesday evenings. We call it hospitality night, and we'll just invite someone over or people over um, after our kids go down uh, to bed and just have some dessert or drink together um, to get to know them. Um, grabbing lunch, getting a rhythm of a, a maybe pick a Wednesday lunch and have that meal with someone. Obviously, right now with social distancing, the food aspect is going to be harder. So it would right. be then prioritizing that the step then would be to build this into your, your schedule to just get face to face as close as you can time together. So it could be taking a walk, you know, with some distance. It could be a Zoom conversation to do video conferencing or FaceTime or just a phone call. And getting a regular rhythm, you know, I have I have a couple standing meetings in my own life uh, every other Monday or every Wednesday with a couple of different people, um, just to connect about different things. With with one friend, that's the time that even though we connect through the week in different ways, we have this spot reserved in our schedule Monday afternoons every other week where we're, we make sure to ask the really intentional questions in life. You know, how are we doing in our relationships and with the Lord and in our job? Are we, what are we discouraged about? What are we encouraged about? What, how are we tempted these days? Just creating space for those kinds of conversations. Um, and then the, the other step I think is a great tool for taking all of our conversations. Another step deeper is asking good questions and staying curious So often in a conversation, yeah, we can stay at a superficial level, but it really only takes just a good question uh, with sincere care. And then when someone answers that question to stay curious and keep going, you know, and I have a few go-to questions that I found helpful to just move conversation deeper. And so some of those uh, questions are questions like, what are you thinking about these days? You know, everyone's has stuff on their minds that they're, they just need an opportunity to share. And that really gets deeper into what's on their mind and heart. It could be, how are you doing these days? Um, and that gives people space to express some, what's getting their emotions, um, worked up or, or anything these days may even ask what's discouraging or encouraging to you lately. Um, You know, even to foster deep friendship and community in my own home, we make sure at dinners to ask, what are you encouraged or discouraged about today? Or what's your high and low? It just gives a context to talk about the important things from our days or weeks together Um, with another brother or sister in Christ. You know, what are you reading lately or what have you been reading in God's word and what's been encouraging you lately? Those are the kinds of questions that you can ask over and over and over um, to different people that can move conversation a step deeper and then begin to go from there. Um, so those are those are a few of uh, the recommendations. So food, building a rhythm uh, for relationships in your in your schedule, and then asking questions and staying
0: curious. Uh, very rich um, guidelines and exhortations and encouragement for the people of God to pursue friendship, even in these strange, strange times. Drew Hunter is the author of "Made for Friendship," the relationship that has our sorrows and doubles our joys, and as I've Read through a little portion of it. I thought to myself, this would be great for a men's Bible study. And it's a very um, succinct and readable book. And I will put that in our link. And I hope folks will get a hold of it. Drew, uh, thank you so much for your time and your investment on this important topic.
1: Yeah, happy to be here. And, and to your, your point about maybe reading through together with other um, men, you know, um, I added questions at the end of each chapter with the intent that men could read this together. So just, you know, grab it and grab a friend and read through it together. And that in learning about friendship, it would even deepen your friendship with the person that you're reading the book with. Um, so that's, that's my hope to give that kind of context for friendship to even develop.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much, Drew. The Lord bless you, brother. Hey, thank you.